your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning to you, my dear friend. Isn't it an exquisite way to fill your Monday listening to the Healthy Steps radio show here on WMNF Tampa and the only radio station that Roy Mad Dog Earl ever streams? And you can stream us as well at WMNF.org. Guess what, my little happy campers? Dr. Harvey has gifted us with another Ask Me Anything Monday component of the Healthy Steps radio show. So you know what needs to be done here. It is so easy that you could do it standing on your head. And if you do do that, take a picture. I want to see it. All you have to do is ask your question. You can unburden yourself by simply dialing 813-239-9663. Irene came in today looking forward to taking your call. You can also send an email to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Well, good morning to you, Dr. Harvey, and let me tell you, I am always happier than a vampire in a blood bank when we have an Ask Me Anything Monday. So I'll step aside now and let this show go to full bloom. What have you got for us today, Dr. Harvey? Well, happy Monday, Bill, and happy Monday to all my Healthy Steps listeners. Glad we're back. Glad you're here. It's a great day in Florida. It's so beautiful outside. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, I thank you for that great intro again, Bill. My pleasure, and glad you're here as well. So I thought today we'd talk a little bit about laboratory rather than an illness or simply health, but just how do we get to a diagnosis sometimes? Often, history and a physical exam are enough to really ascertain what's going on, but sometimes things are quite vague. And those are the kind of people that I tend to deal with, people that have had vague, chronic symptoms, symptoms that just aren't being diagnosed by conventional medicine techniques um, because conventional medicine techniques are designed specifically to determine what illness you have. And because of that, the scope is rather limited. When we only look to diagnose a disease we can treat, we're not really looking at the whole picture because we are a whole being whose function is really what's important. And it's function altered that is described as disease. And so when we look at um, the labs that are annually ordered, you know, things like a blood count and a urinalysis and a chemistry analysis and a lipids test, some people might get uh, a little bit more detailed with a, a hemoglobin A1C test to check the sugar or some hormones to check your testosterone and things like that. But generally, it's some static tests. They're the same ones that we do all the time. And it's just kind of a really generic, broad view baseline of what might be going on. And 
the first thing I want to talk about is normal versus in reference range. So when you have a lab report in front of you, the reference range is what is described there. There is a low and a high number, and that is the range that they have determined has been seen in their lab. So the reference range is determined by the last, say, 100, 200, 300, 500 people that have come into that specific lab with that specific technique, with that specific reagent or the chemicals used to develop the lab. And using that specific set of parameters, we have 100 people or 500 people walk in the door and get lab tests. These people may and often usually will tell the 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 um uh person who is evaluating that these are that they're normal they don't they that they don't have illnesses and so these supposedly healthy people who may be actually vertically ill like many people are today come in and get labs drawn and then they assign value to that and then they take an average. So the reference range you see is the entire group of people that were tested minus the 5% at the top and the 5% at the bottom that didn't seem to be really in the main range. And so they cut off standard deviations. That's what they're called. It's just an arbitrary way of cutting off the top and the bottom extreme numbers. And so then you have a bell curve. And the top of the bell curve is where most of the people hang out. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're normal. For example, in 1940, the testosterone, or sorry, not well, testosterone levels and sperm counts, both of them, were a certain level. When compared with sperm counts and testosterone today, they're about one third of what they used to be. There are several things that could be going on here. One of the biggest ones, I think, is toxicity has actually damaged our ability to make sperm and to make testosterone, and thus the ranges go down. So when we look at a reference range today for testosterone or sperm count, we're looking at a skewed range based on what our human beingness was 100 years ago or 80 years ago. It's actually lower. So we're actually in a disease range now if we had compared it to what it was before, but now we're in a reference range. So when the doctor tells you that your labs are normal, he's a little confused, or she is, because they're not necessarily normal in reference range. They're actually in reference range, which leads us to ask what's doing that. So we have static and dynamic kind of issues with labs. If you check your testosterone at six in the morning, it's going to be higher than it is at six at night. So timing is critical. If you check your cholesterol, sugar, and other lipids after a meal, it's going to be higher than before a meal. So that's why we have sugar and cholesterol checked fasting. If you're taking an antibiotic, you might have a change in the creatinine, which is a measure of kidney function. It can go up and make it look like you have kidney failure because that medication actually resembles creatinine enough that it will trigger a positive response on that creatinine. And so when we're looking at the uh, interference factors, there are many things that could do it. Even a high dose of vitamin C can make it look like your sugar is high because vitamin C and sugar have a basic common structure. And then when we're looking at health versus illness, here's the other distinction that I find really important because we're looking at these static labs, you know, the, 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 the classic one uh, um, um, uh, is, is that we're looking at the sugar, right? So we look at it at one point in time. 
And if you look at it before the meal, it's going to be lower than if you look at it after the meal. So if you want to look at the function of how sugar and insulin work together, you can do a glucose challenge test. That's a functional test where you have somebody eat a sugar meal and then you check the sugar and the insulin afterwards to see how they respond, checking it before and afterwards to compare the change in the sugar and insulin in response to a sugar food challenge will give us some ideas about what's really happening there. And then we have within that reference range, optimal versus normal. And so um, the reference range is not necessarily normal. And when you look at the reference range for B12, many places it actually drops down as low as 200. But in functional medicine, there's not one practitioner you can find that would actually agree that a human is healthy with a less than a 500 B12. We see sick people all the time walking around. And then when we take it to the next level, we can look at functional effect of the B vitamin, B12, specifically in the body. When B12 is optimally metabolized and helping your body do what it's supposed to do, we can look at a secondary thing called a metabolite. A metabolite is uh, a, a, a evidence that the metabolic processes are going a certain direction in the body. And there's this one called methylmalonic acid. And if that is elevated, it means that your B12 is not being effectively used or you need more of it to get the true metabolic effect of B12 in your body to be optimal. And so we can look at functional tests to check and see if the actual static numbers on these other tests are actually valid, optimal, and functional. And a functional interaction is what we like for on the Healthy Steps radio show. So I believe that I should let you know we are on WMNF 88.5, Tampa's favorite radio station. And a pretty slick segue you did there, Doctor. Remind folks that, yes, you can give us a call. Irene's waiting for you all. at number is 813-239-9663. Be like Gary. I've got him in the queue, and we'll get to him in a minute. But be sure to write this, this number down. 813-239-9663. You can also send an email to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. And I do have a regular caller on the line here. I've got Gary, and it's always good to have him back. Good morning to you, Gary. Hello, Gary. Hi. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Um, you know what? I have neuropathy in my legs. And if I understand it's nerve damage and the walker the walker, is there any way that I can reverse that and um, not have neuropathy anymore? Gary, I love when you call in. You always have very good questions. And neuropathy is a challenge for many people. And it comes from many different causes. Um, diabetes, blood vessel problems, um, uh, toxicity, and injuries. And uh, malnutrition, all kinds of things can do it. 
but I think I've talked before about neuropathy and how we can support the nervous system. One is to take fish oil because omega-3 fatty acids really help to insulate our nerves. Other good fats also are helpful, like phosphatidylcholine um, that comes from sunflower and soy lecithin and from eggs and from liver. That's a really principal component of our cell membranes and the insulation on our nerves. Active B vitamins like methylcobalamin, methyl um, B12 that is, uh, methylfolic acid, um, benfotiamine, which is activated thiamine, alpha lipoic acid, all these things. Oh, and uh, uh, pyridoxal, 5-phosphate, which is a an activated B6. All these things are really good for helping build back nerves. But once damaged, um, if, if you're to the point where there's no sensation, it's often difficult to recover those nerves. And um, other stimulation may help those nerves regrow, including some LED class for lasers that help to stimulate new blood vessel growth and new nerve growth in the periphery. I think those things are some really easy ones to, for you to do, Gary. What about exercise? Exercise is good, but um, it actually doesn't really change those um, uh, the growth of the nerves. It does help, but uh, the exercise is something we need to do all the time anyway. And the first thing that came to your mind was fish oil. Um, how yes. many milligrams would you know what to take? Well, um, if you read the back label of the of the bottle, you want to see that the omega-3 content um, is, is the important part, and you want to add that up in the amount of pills you're taking to get about 3,000 milligrams a day. All right, thank you. You're so welcome, Gary. Indeed, thank you very much, Gary. And we've got our very own Annie in the studio or in the queue right now. So let's go to Annie. Good morning to you. Hi. Hi, Annie. How are you today? I'm great. How are you today? Well, pretty good, but I was in the hospital this weekend. Oh, no. Yes, but I feel fine. I'm on my way to the studio, quite honestly, because it makes oh, me so happy. I love to do the show, so I figured that's good for me. It um, is. I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about why I went in and see. Actually, Bill suggested that I call in, so thank you, Bill. Yes. Um, I uh, have chest pains, and um, I have AFib, and uh, we've been managing it with um, uh, Eliquis, uh, with my, for my blood thinner uh, twice a day, yes. and also um, with carbidiol. The doctor wanted me to take 12.5 milligrams twice a day, but I just cannot. It makes me so exhausted. So mm -hmm. what I take that is one time a day, and I'm I'm willing to try half dose in the in the during the day as well. I take a hydrochlorothiazide, uh, 25 milligrams once a time, once a day, and um, I also take Super Beast. I uh, understand that to, to help lower my blood pressure. Okay. So, so these are the things I'm doing. But I had chest pains this weekend. It was it was inconclusive. They just had me, uh, you know, just observing me. And okay. They they said that I was low in uh, potassium, uh, probably due to the uh, the water pill that I'm taking. The yes. Hydrochlorothiazide. And also, uh, they suggested, and I had been taking uh, calcium and magnesium, and um, also uh, uh, what was it? The fish oils and vitamin mm -hmm. D, and uh, seems like there was something else. Oh, and I take a mushroom 
Uh, it has like 15 mushrooms as a probiotic, usually for okay. A ton of gotten off that regimen on the supplement because it, it affects the chemistry of the other medicines. Um, but I'm, I'm now going to set an alarm and take them in, in the middle of the day, kind of a deal. So I wanted to talk to you and see what your thoughts were. Do you think that I need to go to a, you know, a regular medicine, I mean, a regular um, alternative medicine person for this? Or, or tell, so you just tell me a, couple, a, couple of, a couple of thoughts. Um, okay. First, um, you have a fib. Have you been checked for sleep apnea? Yes, like had no sleep apnea. Okay, good. I only noted that I even had, um, I didn't know that I had this. I, I on myself took myself to the doctor because I had friends that were having heart attacks, and I thought it would be a good idea to see if I had any blockage, and they put me on. So did, did you have, did you get checked for blockage? Yeah, I'm perfectly, I'm clean as a whistle. You know, I've been eating. Okay, good. So it's, it's so. unlikely your chest pain was coronary chest pain, so not likely to be coronary artery disease. So the next thing is you have high blood pressure, you have AFib, and uh, you have some chest pain. Uh, pains like that, if it's not heart specifically, it could be um, simply muscular. And the fact that you stop taking your magnesium could mean that your muscles are a little bit more tight. So magnesium is a great muscle relaxer and magnesium glycinate as a as glycine, the amino acid with it is also calming. So that can just take okay, some so of the edge off. So tell me that again, what was it called? Magnesium glycinate. Magnesium glycinate, okay. Yeah, G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T-E. That's a really nice uh, form. Magnesium aspartate is good too. And also if you were low in potassium, um, magnesium potassium aspartate is often sold together as a as a combined supplement. Um, but oh. you also said you have high blood pressure. And so are you taking coenzyme Q10? No, what is that coenzyme Q10? Q10, yes. It's very, very supportive for anybody who has... Like in the number two? Um, it's co, Q as in um, the letter Q, like the QAnon, but not really. <laughs> so co Q10, numeral 10. And it's coenzyme Q10, uh, or otherwise known as ubiquinol. Ubiquinol is the better absorbed version, and now its prices come down to equal that of ubiquinone. So I used to always go with ubiquinone because the other one costs about five times as much, but now they're equal. So ubiquinol is my choice for CoQ10, and that's a great cardiac support. And I would take, for somebody with blood pressure and uh, AFib, at least 200 milligrams a day is kind of a, a baseline for people being supported uh, with that. Uh, not to cure anything, but to give good support. Another thought, high blood pressure. You are not tolerating a high blood pressure medicine called Carvedilol, which would also help with your atrial fibrillation. And it if you were- lowered, It's lowered my heart rate a lot. I mean, yes, lot. and it can yeah. really do that. Um, so you may find a balance. You ask your doctor about finding a balance between um, the water pill and the carvedilol, or maybe getting rid of the uh, water pill so you don't have yeah. any more problems with low magnesium and low potassium. Yeah. They probably didn't check your magnesium. They check your potassium. It's on the standard chemistry, but they don't normally check magnesium when you go in for a heart pain, unfortunately. Yeah. They didn't test that, I don't believe, uh, at all. I don't think they did any blood tests at my uh, cardiologist, which surprised me because then they're telling me this information at the hospital. I'm like, well, seems like there's some slacking going on here. Well, they did They did oh. some blood work in the hospital, right? Yes, in the hospital, but not at okay, the Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. 
So it's time to have a good conversation with them too. So uh, yeah. I'm so glad you didn't have a major event. Um, yeah. Have fun on the show today. Thank and you. Uh, thank you so much. I uh, hope this I, helps. I appreciate your uh, input so much. You have a great day too. You too. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to having her in the studio and all healthy and cheery as she usually is. And I do have Scott from Safety Harbor on the line, but I'm going to give on out the number and information now. You are listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. The phone number is 813-239-9663. And you can continue sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Irene, she's always faithful and in the control room waiting to take your call. Good morning to you, Scott. Hello, Scott. Give it one more shot. Hey there, Scott. Let's go and talk to Ann from Tampa. Good morning, Ann. Hello, Ann. All right. Well, well, what have you got there, Dr. Harvey? Well, I think I'll just go back and talk about some of these lab tests again until we get somebody on the line. Um, hepatic, that's liver. Um, liver function tests. Uh, I put liver function in parentheses or in uh, quotes because they're not really function tests. Uh, we've I, I called them that since I was in training, um, but uh, I shifted um, to, um, in the last like five, six years, I call them liver damage tests. Cause really that's what you're looking for. When you look at the, um, AST, the ALT, the alkaline phosphatase, these are the principal liver, um, enzyme markers. So the, these enzymes are inside liver cells and they process toxins and hormones and other things. And they're part of your metabolic machinery. And so, when we look at this, the reference range of those in the blood, what we're looking at is the amount of those enzymes spilling into your blood because liver cells are dying. That's the only way these enzymes get into your blood. So it's not actually assessing function, it's assessing damage. So liver damage tests, when you see the liver enzymes go high, it tells us that your liver is actually dying that cells are croaking and they're spewing their contents into the blood system. And so we see the elevation of these. So they're not really liver function tests. A liver function test is something that Genova Labs does. They actually will have you um, uh, uh, check a, um, uh, a, a caffeine metabolite level. So how caffeine goes through your liver. You can actually watch how quickly it metabolizes. So you can determine one of your genetic changes, cytochrome 1A1, that's an enzyme in the liver that turns a caffeine into a deactivated caffeine so it doesn't rev you up anymore. Well, there's a speed limit on some people with that enzyme. I have a slower caffeine metabolism. And so it just can't be metabolized. So looking at liver function tests is really looking at liver disease. So don't let your doctor convince you that liver function has something to do with that. It's actually damage. So anyway, we're back to the board. It sure is lit up today. I've got um, Ann, Nancy, Scott, and Michelle. So let's try Ann again. Good morning to you, Ann. Oh, good morning. 
Yes, my doctor said to take um, vitamin D for osteopenia. And yes. I can get free, get it free through my insurance. It's just a pill that they give you. Should okay. I just get the free, or should I pay a lot of a lot to go to a health food store? You know, and well, get something special. So, um, what you want to do is get real vitamin D, and so you want to get vitamin D three, um, uh, cholecalciferol. Vitamin D3, not D2. Many prescription Ds are D2, so your body has to actually metabolize that. The funny thing is, the free isn't that much less expensive than the health food store variety because I think you can probably get about 60 pills for $11. So it's it's not terribly expensive if you can't get the actual D3 from your insurance company, but I think they are wising up and many more of them are actually providing D3. So yeah, if you can get it from your insurance company, I'd get them to pay for it. And what about like collagen? Like you can get the the pill or you can get like the powder from the health food store. And- My favorite collagen comes from the chickens that I cook. I get free range pasture raised chickens. And after I've roasted them, I will take the meat off and throw the bones and skin and everything else into a pot and cook it for 24 hours at really, really low temperature. You see about one bubble a second. And if you want to throw some uh, vegetables in with it to give it some flavor, but you get a, 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 a couple of tablespoons of, of uh, vinegar into the mix because the vinegar leaches the collagen directly out of the bones. So you will dissolve all of the collagen into a nice broth and then you won't have to buy expensive collagen powder. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you very much. With the, You're um, so welcome. Are the pills okay though? If you um, Well, it depends on what your source is. I mean, if you're getting a dissolved cowhide from a Midwestern feedlot where the cow has been tortured and given antibiotics and poisons all of its life, eh, it may be questionable. <laughs> okay. Oh, I see. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, always nick your insurance company for as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to Nancy in St. Pete. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. I just wanted to comment on the heart issue. To me, the most important supplement for uh, AFib and heart high blood pressure is natokinase. Uh, it brought down my blood pressure, and I and I can tell it's dissolving little clots. That is a very interesting thought. Um, natokinase is an enzyme that helps to actually dissolve clots, so it really is uh, helpful for cardiovascular things. I've never seen actually any articles about um, hypertension and natokinase. Uh, I have, um, uh, I know it dissolves too. clots. And so that's good that it helped. I would definitely consider adding natokinase for anybody who has cardiovascular disease and especially anybody who has um, atrial fibrillation because it does help prevent clot. Yeah, it definitely brought my blood pressure down. Beautiful. And I've got AFib. Yeah. Oh, good. I'd say keep using it. There's no reason not to. And there's another nice one out there. If you can find it, it's called Boluke, B-O-L-U-O-K-E. And uh, that was, it's a... a, um, I believe that one comes from uh, night crawlers, worms. <laughs> it dissolves blood clots. Yep. Oh. Just just like natokinase. Oh. It's another enzyme. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye bye.
Okie dokie. Let's go to Michelle. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are Hi. you? Fabulous. How are you today? Good, good. Fine, thank you. Well, what prompted my phone call this morning is you were talking about neuropathy, and my husband has been diagnosed with neuropathy. It is really extremely painful for him yes. in both legs. He has difficulty sometimes walking, especially in the morning. The mm -hmm. doctor has given him garapentin. But the thing is, is that we want to find out what the cause of this is so that it can be treated appropriately. Sure, that makes sense. So um, neuropathies causes, I, I iterated some, uh, toxic metals, diabetes, injuries, malnutrition. So if those things have not been addressed yet, then it's definitely worth it to look at um, some, some functional testing. Um, it'd be worth it to check for um, the presence of, of, say, lead and mercury. Um, uh, B12 deficiency is sometimes uh, hidden. Uh, people don't know they have B12 deficiency for some time. And people that are prone to it have chronic gastritis, um, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, all kinds of intestinal problems can set you up for that. And so um, hidden B12 deficiency is a real common cause of neuropathy. But if it's really painful and, and he needs yes. to get out of discomfort right away, uh, the LED class four laser actually really helps to reduce the pain while you're trying to heal the nerves. Okay. Okay. So you okay. need to find a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, or a physical therapist that uses that class four laser. Class four laser. Okay, fabulous. And in terms of testing, it's really interesting because he's been going to a physician that has not done extensive testing before even prescribing the gabapentin. Yeah, it's so sad because gab gabapentin doesn't even treat neuropathy. That's the delusion. All it does is dull your brain so you don't notice the pain. Oh, my goodness. It's not a neuropathic treatment, period. It does not change the pathophysiology. In fact, if you have mercury toxicity causing it, you're going to have progressive worse neuropathy because you're not treating the cause. This is the problem yeah. with Western illness-based symptom control medicine. It doesn't yeah. look at the real cause of the issue. Exactly, exactly. And so that's what we want to determine. So testing, now where should we go to get the appropriate testing? Because once again, what we're finding is, is that the physicians just want to treat the symptom. Right. So how, how should we move forward, sir? I would find a functional medicine doctor to talk to because we look at those things. We dive deep. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, fabulous. But well, we will certainly do that. And I understand you were in Sarasota. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll be giving you a call, doctor. Lovely. Have a wonderful day and good luck with that. But look for that uh, class four laser even before you see me because I've seen people change in a, a couple of treatments. Okay. Wonderful, sir. Thank you so kindly. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Michelle. Appreciate you calling in with that question and concern. And I've got Scott trying to get back on in the door. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Can you hear me this time? Yes, yeah, Scott. We got you. All right. Uh, my issue is I've been diagnosed with brachial plexus. 
in my right, right. arm. I can't so, raise my right arm past my waist. Mm-hmm. Kind of woke up one morning and it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Wow. Um, how did you injure it? I didn't. So it's functional. That means you have a something where the nerve is not likely completely damaged. Something impinged on that functional system. I've had something similar. It was re- related to rotator cuffs, but I couldn't raise either arm above my waist without pain about five, six years ago. And when I um, um, discovered that it was the uh, a functional issue, like the, there was a little bit of a tear there, but I mean, I, everything wasn't just destroyed. Um, I dived into um, some deep tissue massage, some more of that class four laser because it does an amazing thing with muscles and inflammation. And I also found a muscle activation technique specialist. A physical therapist may also be uh, uh, versed in this, but muscle activation technique is a really interesting way of diving deep into musculoskeletal concerns. And um if you haven't had an injury, I would look for a local MAT specialist. And I think you can find one online at muscleactivation.com or Muscle Activation Techniques. Uh, uh, Google search that and you'll find these amazing practitioners. There's about three or five in the Tampa area, like three in the Orlando area. There's two in Sarasota. They're few and far between, but they're amazingly skilled at what they do. So it's MAT, Muscle Activation Techniques techniques okay yeah yeah, because my neurologist who was supposed to be like the best yes he he really didn't give me much except there's nothing nothing we can do like uh, an operation or anything that will make right right neurologists are really the nerves dead yeah, so neurologists are really skilled at making diagnoses, but unfortunately in neurology, there's almost no therapies that have any effect on any disease. Like there's no treatment for Alzheimer's. They'll cover up the symptoms. There's no treatment in, uh, like, it's really interesting that, you know, people with neuropathy see a neurologist and they don't recommend uh, nutritional support to grow back the nerves, even though it's actually in like the journal neurology that shows that alpha lipoic acid helps to recover neuropathy. They don't use these techniques for unknown reasons because it's it's published data. And and so um, the fact that they don't have any tools when they've arrived at a bad diagnosis is really sad because there's always yeah, it, something it, to try. I, I was very... Oh, I don't even know how to explain it, but, you know, I, I, I did the orthopedist. Orthopedist sent me to a neurologist, several MRI, MRIs and of different parts of my shoulder and neck, and everything's fine with my shoulder and neck, except I can't raise my arm. Yeah. And now I'm getting, you know, the, the muscles kind of getting some, what is it called, dip, dis, dyptrophy? Well. I can't think of yes. the word. And, and you may have had an injury you don't know of, and it may really have damaged the nerve that way. And, and if you're right. getting atrophy, this is a bad thing. Hard to tell if these other techniques are going to help, but at least worth trying. Yeah, because not being able to raise your arm past your waist is, is not good. <laughs> right. I agree. Not, you know, I'm right-handed, and I can't raise a fork to my mouth anymore, you know? Right. All right. Well, thank you. You've given me more information than he did and probably cost me a lot less. (laughs) Good luck, Scott. I hope you can get better with that. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. All righty. That was good. And it is a shame that a lot of the information that you are giving to the folks is uh, not stuff that's secret, that 
you're just telling people what the neurologist should know as well. Yes. My two bits there. I've got Christiana on the line here, and I know that you've got a boatload of uh, emails that have been sent your way. So let's go to Christiana. Good morning to you. Good morning, Dr. Harvey. Hi there. Hi. I love that you're doing this topic today of, of labs because I know there is a lot of gray area, at least I believe there is. Um, that being said, my gastroenterologist almost two years ago did discover on my very first visit to her that I had exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, EPI. Um, mm-hmm. So I have to give her credit for being an excellent diagnostician uh, and that yes. many members of my support group have complained that they suffered for years because their GI refused to run the proper stool test. To find that. I don't yeah. know why, but I- I'm lucky. However, she wants me to do an upper endoscopy this Wednesday, and reason being I've suffered from uh, acid reflux off and on throughout the years, but most notably and consistently the last eight-plus months. My concern is that, and, and I've heard shatter in my group, that there is a certain type of endoscopy, and I don't know whether it's the standard uh, upper endoscopy I'm getting or whether it's an ERCP, which I'm not getting, but some type of endoscopy they're referring to that if the GI does not do it expertly, there is a chance of brushing up against the pancreas and thus causing pancreatitis. I do not have pancreatitis, and I don't ever want to get it. I've heard sure. horror stories. And so I'm just curious, should I really be getting this test? I mean, naturally, if there's something serious going on, like, um, I don't know, uh, esophageal cancer, God forbid, or um, I forget what the other thing is called, barums or barums esophagus. Um, I, I, is this test really necessary? And is there a chance with this endoscopy of brushing up accidentally against the pancreas? So if you have a standard EGD, esophago-gastroduodenoscopy, which is the upper endoscope, the risk of pancreatitis is probably less than 0.002%. Wow. So there's only been a few reported cases in all of GI history for pancreatitis from a standard upper endoscopy. So here, here's a question, though. You have this ongoing problem with your gut. Do you have bloat? Oh, I do get bloated from time to time, yeah. yes. You I... know that um, um, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency and reflux are actually caused by small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? Yes. She did run a SIBO test on me. It was about six months ago, and it was negative. But, oh, good. Uh, yeah, thank God, because I've heard horror stories about that one also. Yeah, yeah. So it may just be that you need to um, change around some of the foods you're eating to eliminate some of this. And so reflux often caused by histamine foods, histamine triggers. And so you might want to avoid fermented foods, kombucha, uh, aged cheeses, tomatoes, strawberries, avocados, um, chocolate, coffee, and a bunch of other things to see if your GERD or reflux symptoms reduce um, and um, uh, discuss the histamine blocker, H2 blocker, Pepsid, with your doctor instead of the purple pill, as it is more effective, I think, um, in terms of not causing osteoporosis, depression, and addiction, because proton pump inhibitors are addictive medications. Yes. Yes, I've heard horror stories about those. She did put me on, I've been on the last several months, something called famotidine, 
I don't know. Oh, good. That is that is the H2 blocker. That is Pepsid. Uh, its generic name is famotidine, my first line drug of choice there. So, okay. um, yeah, sounds like she was already forward thinking. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Dr. Harvey. Have a wonderful You're welcome. You too. Okie dokie. And let's go to Mark. And I've got John and Rick in the wings. Good morning, Mark. Oh, well, I'm shocked. Um, and also delighted that, oh, hi, doctor. And thank you for hi. taking my call. Um, You're welcome. Just the previous caller is, I had a, I did have a endoscope. It's down in my gullet. Yes. And um, they, my, um, well, my symptoms were, you know, bloating. I couldn't eat. Um, he said I had hardening in my, um, I guess, upper track. Um, and so he had me to take this uh, stuff. Well, oh, I'm getting off the track. Um, that um, he did it. And and I I got the results um, and it I don't think I have reflux because I don't you know belch and all this and have all this burning and all that. Mm-hmm. The, the the impression is LA grade B reflux, effigious biopsied, benign appearing. Ephigeal stenosis dilated, geosophageal flap valve classified as heel grade two, full present open with respiration, chronic gastritis biopsied, normal duodenal bulb, second portion of the duodenum and third portion of the duodenum biopsied. Um, yes. So what they found is that you have an open uh, hiatal. Uh, 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 hernia, essentially. You have a, a, an open sphincter at the end of your esophagus, so acid floods back into your chest because your esophagus doesn't control it. And so you have silent reflux. Silent reflux is when you have acid going up into your chest and you don't even know it. Silent reflux is associated with deterioration of your esophagus and inflammation and changes in the mucosa of the esophagus. Alcohol is one of the worst things you can do to increase the Uh, leakage there. And so um, also alcohol causes an erosion of your esophagus and can cause enough inflammation that eventually you'll get an esophageal stricture like you had that was dilated. So probably the first thing to do would be eliminate all use of alcohol, period. And then you don't have to treat a condition that you're causing with the use of alcohol. Okay. Well, I don't drink that much, so it's okay. But, but he, a, any any of it, any of it will trigger it. That's the that's the issue. And and so but, other things that will actually contribute to more acid is uh, like histamine foods, like I mentioned to the previous caller. And um, um, yeah. so yeah, and I heard all of them, and it's like, what do I eat then? 
Oh, um, you can eat a lot of things. Uh, the easiest thing to do would be to go onto a uh, on the web and and search a low histamine diet. The things that I mentioned are pretty much the ones you have to avoid. You can have lettuce, and you can have uh, uh, spinach, and you can have bread, and you can have uh, uh, meat, and you know. Most things aren't going to trigger the histamines no like cheese. those list of foods. Uh, well, actually, um, uh, like ricotta and fresh mozzarella, um, those are not <clears throat> fermented. They're actually made with um, um, rennet and 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 things I like that. So they're so Swiss isn't isn't one of the more aged cheeses. I'm talking about uh, cheddar, uh, uh, old cheddar, old Gouda, Roquefort, uh, blue cheese. Oh, cool. No, no. You know, uh, brie cheese. That's all. You know, it's got mold growing all over the outside of it. Um, but um, the the uh, uh, simpler. What's that? Swiss is okay. Swiss is probably fine. Um, um, I would. Uh, you have to test it though and see if you yeah. get reflux oh. with it. But he prescribed this, and I researched it, and I damn near fell over with a stroke. Was pantopazole. Yeah, the addictive uh, purple pill, um, or actually that one's probably green and pink, I think. But um, in any event, um, yes, proton pump inhibitors are addictive. I did the research on it, and it does more against you than it does for you. That's why I would suggest always for anybody who's got reflux, the over-the-counter famotidine that's been available for years. It has very low risk, very low adverse effects. I'm sorry? Famotidine, F-A-M-O-T-I-D-I-N-E. It's available over-the-counter, and it works. To the, like, CVS and say... Yes, CVS and Walgreens and Walmart all carry a generic famotidine that doesn't have any dyes on it. Um, Pepsid, the brand Pepsid is purple or pink or blue, and you don't want those crappy dyes. So all three of those companies, those big pharma companies, have a a generic famotidine 20 milligrams that has no dye on it. And so you're not poisoning yourself like you are with the branded ones. So famotidine. F-A-M-O-T-I-D-I-N-E. Pepsid is its other name. Oh, 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 okay. So don't get that, but get the... Yeah, Pepsid's company chose to poison it with uh, some sort of dye. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. My dad always told me, read the label, you know? Absolutely. And and ever since I was a young child, and we go grocery shopping, you know, we spend hours in the grocery store, you know, talking, bonding, but yes, label reading. <laughs> you gotta read. So, hey, I hope that helps, Mark. Okay, have yeah, a wonderful yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna move it on. Yes, thank you so much, Doctor. Very good. Thank you. Yes. If you can't pronounce it, don't eat it. Yeah, really. <laughs> okay, I've got uh, John and Rick, and again, all those emails. So let's go to uh-huh. John and. Ten okay, minutes I'll, left on we'll, the show. We'll do John and Rick, and then I'll hit emails. All right, sounds good. Fair enough. There's John. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I just have one short question. He's probably talking what you about got, John? Before, but what is the uh, what is what do you recommend as the best probiotic? Well, I don't have a best probiotic, but here's a way to look at probiotics. Um, when they work for your gut, they work for your gut. So when you take one, if it feels good, you got the right one. If it doesn't, change it. And then when you look at the label, again, read the label. You want to see on the back label of the probiotic, after the name 
lactobacillus acidophilus. You want to see a little alphanumeric thing in parentheses, something that says something like um, Roselle 52 um, or um, um, NCFM 27. These are actually patented strains owned by specific pharma companies, and they've genetically strained them. So you know you're getting exactly that bacteria and not some knockoff something that is just a pile of poop. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All righty. That was good. Let's go to Rick and the pile of emails. Good morning, Rick. Hello, uh, Dr. Harvey. Yes. Funny, I, I heard you talk about um, the reference ranges on the lab tests, and I just yes. got mine back from last week. So everything is in the green except for my glucose. So it's 104 high, and the reference range is 65 to 99. So right. should I be concerned about that uh, glucose? What that tells us is that you are um, verging on some uh, trouble with metabolizing your glucose. Now, here's the question. Was that a fasting lab or not fasting? It was not. It was. Oh, I was fasting. I was fasting. Okay. So that shows that you have too high a sugar for a fasting state. So that means you're bordering on a little bit of pre-diabetes probably. Definitely worth watching the amount of carbohydrates you're taking in and the amount of exercise you're doing. Well, I'm getting exercise and I don't eat that many carbs, but I do eat ice cream after meals uh is it so it's all sugar is that mainly well that's part of it but there's other things that can be involved there so if you're having inflammation or stress that can raise it up Um, i would definitely um uh, pay attention to um what you're taking in um and then you might want to actually look at the rest of those numbers like you know if they're in the green zone it doesn't mean they're normal <laughs> it doesn't mean they're optimal it means they're in the reference range and if you have a lipid test done and your triglycerides are normal you're not having quite so much of a sugar problem as might be indicated by the slightly elevated sugar okay well great i feel a lot better about that thanks a lot dr harvey appreciate it very good okay all right, Dr. Harvey, read to me. I will do that. Hey, Dr. Fred, I tested positive for SIBO with a score of 27. Okay, so reference ranges again. The score of 27, if it is actually um, in the um, uh, ranges that I'm sort of familiar with, because they do change between labs, that's high. And so, and I'm not sure whether that was high for uh, hydrogen or for methane, and both are important to check. So if uh, Benny had only uh, tested for hydrogen, need to get a check for methane because after taking Zafaxin, the test went down to 17, but then it went back up um, uh, to 45. So that means that there's something else going on um, because of there's something interfering. It could be that there's actually a sulfur-based, a methane-based bacterial problem that wasn't treated the first round. Zafaxin alone isn't always enough, and sometimes it requires neomycin. So I think a better test might be in order for Ben. Um, cholesterol is 188. Um, if your cholesterol is 188 and your doctor wants to put you on a statin, uh, you're, you're, you have to tell your doctor that they're probably crazy. Now, the only difference is that um, if you have an LDL cholesterol that's over 100 and you have cardiovascular disease, you have evidence of coronary artery disease, then you should be on something that lowers that or on a specific regimen that lowers it. And it might be a statin because if you can't get it done otherwise, we know that statins reduce your risk of death. And 
Deborah asks, do I ever prescribe statins? Of course I do, um, because all tools are useful. And I just don't use them willy-nilly like many other doctors do. Um, so did you know, this is a really interesting, statins can actually help with long COVID. Isn't that crazy? Because long COVID is vascular inflammation. And one of the things that statins do that they don't talk about much, it has really not to do with cholesterol, directly, it reduces inflammation. And when you reduce inflammation, cholesterol naturally drops. So you're actually treating the cholesterol by treating the inflammation. And that's why statins tend to work because they fix up the vascular system. And so another place that statins are really critical are after a heart attack. They've been proven so well to prevent the next heart attack. If you had one, if you get a stent, if you're on the edge of it, you should be on a statin because your vascular system's at risk. And you should really get a Cleveland heart test to check and see how bad the vascular risk is. It can show you how close you are to popping a plaque and having a heart attack. So Cleveland heart test is done at Quest Labs. Definitely worth looking at. That's a functional test. And last but not least, what's my opinion on milk thistle? Actually, I have a couple more even. Um, <laughs> milk thistle for liver treatment. No, it's not for treatment, it's for support. Milk thistle helps to clean out your liver. It helps to support detoxification and it helps to raise glutathione levels. Very, very important. And um, the question about natokinase is spelled N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E, natokinase. And, um, the, and that is a supplement that comes from fermented soy. Um, here's one last one. Oh, no, actually, we're at 1059. So I got to say, hey, everybody, we're coming up on the fall uh, campaign. So if you would like and you like what you're hearing here today, please drop something in a tip jar before you move on so we can be ahead of the game for two weeks from now when I'm going to be working the boards with Sean to get some support for this beautiful station. And thank you today, Irene, for fielding the phones. And uh, Bill, as usual, always a marvelous job. Thanks. Love to work with you and love all you listeners. So Looking for you next week. We'll be doing Ask Me Anything again before we get to the campaign. Okie dokie there. All sounds good. It was great and a pleasure to be here, I believe, for myself today. So my thanks go to you and to Irene and to all of our listeners who called on in. And I'm sure that they're all going to support you all in a couple of weeks. So until next Monday at 10 o'clock, thank you all. Take care. Stay healthy. You're the greatest. You've been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR news and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved. 